Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Here we go. Another busy day, another busy program. Thank you very much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We'll cover a lot of ground today. We're going to take a look at trade with China. Yeah, their purchases are up. They've been busy, been active, but they're still behind those phase one trade deal agreements and commitments. We'll talk about it with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with StoneX, including Mexico, big in the market today with some big purchases. We'll talk about that. And the ethanol industry is still wanting more clarity, more transparency, more answers from EPA on granting of these small refinery waivers to the RFS of couple of groups, the Renewable Fuels Association and Growth Energy, pressing this issue in court. We'll talk with Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, about their efforts to get more information from EPA. All that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start it off with more on that dicamba decision that we talked about yesterday from EPA, allowing its use uh, for five more years with some changes. Let's talk about it with Richard Gupton. He is the Senior Vice President, Public Policy and Counsel for the Ag Retailers Association. Richard, thank you for joining us. First of all, your your thoughts, your reaction to the decision by EPA. Well, we're pleased uh, for them to finally make this announcement. Um, our Ag Retail members and their former customers have been working to make uh, plan, you know, decisions for the 2021 growing season and waiting for some clarity from the agency on dicamba. So we're pleased they finally made this decision because seed sales have already been taking place the last several months. And now with this decision, farmers, again, our ag retail members can make firmer plans uh, over the next five years on this critical question um, being answered by the agency. Yeah, you, they now know that dicamba can be used, but there are some changes. I want to get your thoughts on on the changes. The new cutoff date for applications on dicamba tolerant soybeans on soybeans will be June 30th. The new cutoff date for cotton will be July 30th. EPA also expanding the downwind buffer zone from 110 feet to 240 feet, and Administrator Wheeler said an approved pH buffering agent will be required to be mixed with dicamba products prior to all applications to lower volatility. Your thoughts on those changes? Well, I think, you know, they're looking at the science and the data and the issues that have been taking place over the, over the last season and also uh, in response to the litigation. You know, this past summer with the uh, Ninth uh, Circuit's decision uh, really uh, caused a lot of chaos within the industry. I think EPA is, is trying to address that in some of the national uh, standards, uh, particularly on the cutoff dates and the buffers, to make sure that there's uh, minimizing any kind of downward uh, drift on the outside of the farm. Uh, they do provide some flexibility to the states as well in the announcements. So I think, again, they're trying to respond to the data and the science and, and, the, and make it, this decision as litigation-proof as possible. I know some of the groups that had sued uh, are likely to sue again and are unhappy with this decision, but I think EPA took all the steps necessary following the data and the science uh, to announce the decision. And I think that's also the reason why it was delayed is they wanted to get it right 
uh, and try to mitigate any potential litigations um, in the next season. So some national standards, but as you said, uh, still there's leeway for states to uh, may have differing ways of applying uh, regulations and restrictions or guidelines for the use of dicamba, right? We'll see different things in different states. That's exactly right. I mean, they recognize and support the important authority under FIFRA Section 24 that gives states the authority of issuing locally appropriate regulations for pesticide use. Um, so they reinforce that in, in this announcement. Um, if the state wishes to expand the uh, federal over-the-top uses of ICAMBA to better, better meet their local needs, they also allow for that. So there's going to be some flexibility. You know, it's a there's always a partnership between the federal government and EPA and these state agencies that do the enforcement action. And this uh, decision by the uh, EPA on Dicamba recognizes that. So would you say a sigh of relief within the industry? Because it, it, it really was a question whether or not uh, Dicamba would be reapproved by uh, EPA. There were some questions. So I'm wondering if it would happen or not. I think so. I mean, again, over the last several months, there's already been seed sales and selections taking place um, that's dependent on this product. And uh, I think, again, a five-year registration provides some clarity. Again, at the end of the day, it's up to the ag retailer and their farmer customer to make the best decisions on seed and pesticide products that they think best fits their operations. But providing this kind of certainty uh, is critical uh, for the industry. Uh, again, we just saw the chaos this past summer with the litigation taking place, and the industry really didn't know what to do. And we're hoping that will be prevented by this uh, EPA decision and, and provide uh, some certainty and clarity over the next five years so the industry can move forward and, and then have the decisions based on the uh, agronomic decisions and not by uh, – what the court decides. We're talking with Richard Gupton with the Ag Retailers Association. Richard, I want to get your thoughts uh, as well because your your group has weighed in on this uh, this debate over moving away from fossil fuels, going to uh, away from uh, gasoline-powered engines, and going to you know uh, whether it be battery-powered or whatever it may be. Uh, what what has your group? Uh, uh, come out and said, made a statement, taking a stand on this particular issue? Well, you know, there's been some a number of proposals that uh, seek to end the use of the internal combustion engine vehicles, and we wanted to have a better understanding of the impact that that proposal may have on the supply chain of our members, uh, including biofuels, ethanol, corn, soybeans, fertilizer, and more. So we, this uh, study was commissioned. Uh, we have two economists that have that looked at this, uh, the impact under three different scenarios. One, a base case, which uh, where the, there's no ban, uh, where the, there's a ban uh, by 2050. And also there's been proposals about banning the internal combustion engine by 2035, and including several states like California. So we, we want to provide some clarity on the adverse economic impact that this would have on the agricultural sector, the biofuel sector, and it's fairly significant uh, concern. So hopefully policymakers will take a look at that and realize that this has broader ramifications than just promoting electric vehicles in the marketplace. 
Yeah, huge issue, and as you said, the big ramifications, implications, uh, if that uh, policy is put into effect. So we will watch that closely. Richard, good to talk with you again. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Take care. Richard Gupton, Senior Vice President, Public Policy and Counsel for the Ag Retailers Association. Up next, how do you look at the sales to China? They've been very active in the market, been very helped to fuel a market rally here, but if you look at their purchases compared to what they should be buying or we think they should be buying according to the Phase 1 trade deal, uh, they're still way behind. Are they going to be able to catch up and make those commitments or not? We'll get some thoughts from the former chief economist for USDA next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, always interesting to look at developing consumer trends when it comes to food. And we talk with Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. For the last 40 plus years, American agriculture truly has been the wonder of the world, focusing primarily on increasing productivity, efficiency, and throughput. Today, consumers, engaged consumers, uh, retailers, and capital markets are beginning to ask whether or not other issues like sustainability, food safety, health and nutrition, should also receive greater focus. And so there's, there's an important shift taking place where people are saying we want to continue to enjoy safe, very affordable food, but we also now are looking at other attributes as being equally important as consumers have greater interest in health and nutrition, extending their meals, fresh, high-quality food. All of those things are continuing to play a greater role in the decision process for engaged consumers, retailers, and for those who provide financing to agriculture. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 food banks strong. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Interesting debate when it comes to ag sales to China. Glass half empty, glass half full. Half full, people point to, wow, they've been really active buying quite a bit here as of late. Half empty, they're still way behind their commitments under the Phase 1 trade deal. Let's get some thoughts on that from Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, good to talk with you again. Are you uh, a half empty or a half full glass guy? Oh, I, I'd say half uh, half full. I, I think, you know, these are great purchases, and, and it's great to see us back on track where we were back in 2017. You know, I've said from the beginning that uh, I thought it would be great to get back to sort of 2017 levels. By the way, we're not there yet. We're still a long way from there, from there but uh, certainly with the outstanding sales that we see on beans and corn and other things, these are going to be good you know, great for, for uh, those products. Um, but, you know, still, I, I, I always thought the $36.5 billion or whatever the, the number was, was was unrealistic given where we were. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, in a number of years from now, we'll build to that level. But we'll build to that level because China needs product, not because of some commitment to, to buy, um, at least that's my opinion. Yeah, I think the feeling had become they probably weren't going to hit those uh, trade deal marks. But the question was, how close would they get? Uh, what do you see happening here the rest of the year? I mean, this is the time they're usually buying from us anyway. We're the, the big supplier until yeah. South America's next yeah. crop comes on. That's right. And it's a real so- it's a soybean story, frankly. The, if you look at the other exports that we ship to China, uh, you know, uh, be it grains or, or meat products or, or – you know, uh, specialty crop things, those are pretty constant uh, by month. I mean, if you were to plot those by month average uh, exports, they would look pretty flat. Um, you know, they, they increase steadily throughout the year. But soybeans is a very different story. And there we, we export a lot to China from about um, October through February or so. Bulk of our exports come in those four or five months. Um, and remember, the, the thing about this China uh, the China commitments is they're based on what's received in China. So when we, you know, when we're shipping in uh, November, those will be received uh, in China by uh, the end of the calendar 2020. But, but frankly, stuff that we're shipping out of here in, in December won't really uh, be received there until 2021. So it, that would go against the 2021 commitments. So, when I've looked at this, you know, we didn't have big sales at the beginning of the year. And that's also, you know, January, February are times when we ship a lot to China. We didn't this year. So we were behind almost from the get-go. And that's why I thought it was highly unlikely we were going to get very close to these targets. But, 
you know, over the next three months, uh, we will be shipping, I think, a lot of soybeans uh, to China. And I think we could get, you know, again, hopefully close to the sort of uh, 2017 levels. I think that would be a really good year and a real good rebound from the miserable years we've had uh, over the last couple of years. You bring up a good point. There there are differences between announced sales, uh, shipping dates, and actual delivery dates. Yeah, and don't forget that the value that we're counting, you know, when they leave the U.S. is a FOB number, essentially, that, that you know, is re- recorded by commerce. When it gets to China, that, that adds 15, you know, 10, 15% to those exports by shipping and, and other things. So, you know, those China numbers are going to be larger because of that, but they're delayed a month because of the, sh- you know, the time it takes to ship there. It, it's, <laughs> it is a very, you know, I think a very uh, interesting and difficult uh, uh, agreement to sort of monitor. Uh, but, you know, to date, it, we, it looks like China has received about $13 billion worth of agricultural purchases. Now, these are these go beyond what we typically consider agricultural products. So things like ethanol are included in there and a few other categories that we don't typically uh, count as ag products here. But, um, it, you know, again, uh, the, the pickup, if we see a, you know, a big increase over the next several months, it's going to be soybeans. And that's, um, you know, that certainly would be consistent with our shipping patterns. And, um, you know, over the next two or three months, you know, you'll be seeing two or three billion dollars go out every month and that's that's going to be important to trying to at least get back up to 2017 levels. You mentioned ethanol. There had been hope that they would be big buyers of ethanol or ethanol products. We really haven't seen that. No, we really haven't. And and you know almost at the time that announcement was made of phase 1, China made a a separate announcement saying that they were relaxed and and remember that that you know when this this deal was signed, they were right in the midst of COVID, you know, the, the early stuff at the end of t- 2019, uh, first part of 2020. And, and I don't know if that was related to the announcement, but, but they made the announcement that they wouldn't, they were going to relax their, their own renewable fuel com- uh, standard commitments. And so to me, it was a clear signal that they wouldn't be importing as much ethanol as they might have thought. Uh, uh, but but you're right. That would have been a, a big bonus to see uh, some ethanol flowing uh, to China, and certainly would have helped the, the, our export numbers. But that just hasn't materialized. And finally, Joe, big in the news today, Mexico was big corn purchase. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Again, it's. I think we've seen a lot of. You know, it's. I, Tell you, we've we've had you know uh, a few years now of of pretty uh, uh, weak prices, I would say, uh, and and so any of these news that we've seen on the export front of buys, I think are have been really helpful to kind of you know point towards a, a little rosier picture for agricultural prices. Uh, certainly, the movements we've seen in corn and soybeans over the last month, a couple months or so, have been really. Uh, I, uh, hopefully, guardedly optimistic about going into the the next year. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you: uh, Are you optimistic then that this strength we're seeing in prices carries over into 2021? Well, you know, there's so many uncertainties right now, and um, uh, you know, thus far things have looked good, but we we certainly have been helped by poor weather. Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, you know, wheat market has been helped by the poor weather in, in Russia. You've had, uh, um, but you know, if you look at stocks, stocks held by major exporters are still not quite, you know, they're 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 down a little bit, which is again, uh, that's that's a, a bullish uh, signal for the markets. Um, you know, I I kind of have the feeling we're going into we'll be going into this next spring, much like we've gone into the last couple of springs, that is, with some optimism. But, um, you know, hopefully we won't have markets kicked out from under them. And, uh, you know, again, it's the best news of all is to have a, uh, China buying U.S. products. I think that's the, the you know, uh, an important part of, of, of our export picture. Mm-hmm. And certainly that translates to receipts and farm income. Hard to look too far down the road as we have uh, have yeah. learned things can change in a hurry. Joe, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. You bet, Mike. Thanks. Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute, former USDA Chief Economist. We'll talk about the markets and China purchases and, and Mexico's big buy. We'll talk about all that with Arlen Suderman with StoneX next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A correction in the grain futures trading at the Board of Trade continued in the overnight session. Corn futures down 1.7%. Uncertainty surrounding an uptick in coronavirus cases and next week's U.S. election factors spurring traders to get out of some of their grain positions export sales of both u.s corn and wheat exceeding the forecast of traders ahead of the numbers sales of wheat totaling 743,200 metric tons for the week ending october 22nd sales of corn totaling 2.24 million tons Today's hog slaughter estimated at 490,000 head. That'd be 1,000 head more than a week ago. Cattle slaughter estimated at 120,000 head, steady with a week ago. U.S. stocks edging higher Thursday, rebounding after fresh numbers showed jobless claims dropped and the economy expanded in the third quarter. A narrow mix in soybean futures, November down three-quarters of a cent, 1056 and a half. December corn down two and three quarters, three ninety-eight and three quarters. Chicago wheat, December down three and a half, six oh five and a quarter. 
Kansas City wheat December steady at 5.43 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December up three quarters of a cent, 5.52 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we've got a narrow mix. October up 15 cents at $106 per hundredweight. December at 104.60, down 7 cents. Feeder cattle November up 62, 134.50. Lean hogs December down $1.45, 64.90. The Dow up 73 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk things over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, let's start with the export news of the day. Big news, uh, sales to Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. China is, excuse me, China's been primary focus, but uh, Mexico really stealing the limelight this morning uh, with uh, purchases for the current year and for next year, 56.4 million bushels of corn, 35.1 million for the current year, 21.3 million for next year, suggesting that perhaps they're worried about what next year's prices and availability will be. Everyone's kind of speculating on what China might do if they in- increase their import quotas of 20 to 30 million metric tons. Uh, for the current year, then that's probably not going to encourage expansion of production at home because it'll hold down prices and mean that next year I'll have to have a big import program too. Mexico is one of our top buyers is getting worried about that. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. What is the story behind this headline? And you just kind of gave us a, a sneak peek there. I mean, this is maybe a preview of things to come, at least what Mexico thinks may be coming. Yeah, exactly right. And there is a valid argument for them to raise their tariff, uh, their import tariff uh, quota, I should say. There's also an equally uh, valid argument that they won't, and that's not getting much airtime and something that farmers need to be aware of that risk, which they'll do, I don't know. But their Ministry of Agriculture came out yesterday again and talking about how the market is working. It's reallocating resources. It is rationing demand. And they have adequate supplies of rice and wheat 
uh, to fill in the void of the deficit of corn and that they want to be self-sufficient. And if the Communist Party of China makes that decision they want to be, they don't have to significantly increase the import quota. Um, so if that happens, then as I talk to our people in China, what are the things that could still benefit? One would be grain sorghum because grain sorghum doesn't have import quotas in China, doesn't have problems with uh, GMO um, inspections at the ports, so they could continue to import large volumes of U.S. grain sorghum as well as barley from various parts of the world as well. And we saw in this morning's export sales report that not only did they buy another cargo of U.S. Old cro uh, current crop grain sorghum, but they bought a cargo of next year's grain sorghum as well. And that was China. So it says Chinese buyers are looking long-term as well, but maybe not just corn. They're looking at grain sorghum on the possibility that those TRQs do not get increased for corn significantly. Yeah, I think that's important to note that things happening now are giving us uh, indicators for next year. Uh, the other thing to be watching, of course, is we will, going into winter, uh, how the south american crop is doing because that'll as always will play a big part in next year as well absolutely we've already drawn down the ending stocks projection for soybeans at 290 million bushels that could get ratcheted down a little bit lower on november 10th by usda if they pull the yield a little bit lower and then we'll see what they do on the demand side. But that's getting relatively tight. That's about a 6.4% stocks to use ratio. Prices start escalating much more rapidly in soybeans once stocks to use gets below 7%. So we're at that point already. Now we've already delayed the planting season in Brazil, I would say about three weeks. So we could see, and this is, we don't have confirmation of this, but we could see China extend their purchases from us by maybe five, four to six million metric tons to fill that gap until the later Brazilian crop becomes available. That by itself would draw us into ending stocks well below 200 million bushels, extremely tight level. That doesn't take into account yet the expectation that La Nina will result in a short crop in Argentina. Now, Argentina crushes most of its soybeans and sells meal and oil, but the world will have to go somewhere else for the meal and oil, so that could increase demand for U.S. crushing more, or if it, that business goes to Brazil, that shifts more export business of whole beans to the United States. Either way, it's increased demand for our beans to draw us even tighter. So the bulls have a much stronger argument right now in soybeans than do the bears. The bears are simply saying, okay, we got a break. We got what we want. Maybe we should take our profits on the shorts and get out of the way before the buyers come running back in here again. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. All right. Do markets look very much at the election? We, we know the trade policies uh, the last four years of the Trump administration. We know what's been talked about or proposed or suspected if, it, if Joe Biden wins. How much of an impact does that have on markets next year? Uh, excellent question. It's on everyone's mind. First of all, the soybeans, since we've been talking about that, I see it having very little impact on soybeans other than potential impacts on, from a biodiesel standpoint 
depending on what the Biden administration might do with a national lockdown that might hurt demand for biodiesel, therefore reduce demand for soy oil, but generally much smaller impacts on diesel. Uh, corn, it's a whole different story. Um, we saw the pain that we experienced from the shutdown of the economy in the spring, which caused people not to drive, a sharp drop in gasoline demand, which meant ethanol production cut in half, and we never really did recover from that lost corn demand from the ethanol industry. If we not had that shutdown, we'd be looking at a much different corn market right now than what we are. Well, we're trying to recover from that. What if we have another shutdown? President Trump has said, I will not shut down the nation again, although we could have some individual states do shutdowns. President, uh, I want to say Vice President Biden has indicated that he might do that, that he might do a national shutdown. So there is the fear. Um, you have the China demand that's a positive and the risk of a shutdown, which is a negative, and how they balance out with corn. It, it leaves corn in a little diff more precarious position than our soybeans. Let's switch to this year's crop harvest in the final stages. Some done, others uh, in those final stages. Do we pretty well have a handle on this year's production, you think? We will be releasing our next uh, customer base survey on Monday. Um, I have not seen the numbers. I'm not a part of that process until the numbers are released. So don't try to read too much into A lot of people try to read into my comments what I'm saying. Um, generally what I see is uh, Minnesota had a great crop and I think finished well. But we're hearing a lot of people across the Midwest say, you know, the last third of the crop just didn't perform quite as well. No surprise there with the type of August that we had for finishing the crop. Uh, so I think the general expectation is for corn and soybeans both, we'll probably see the yields ratchet down a little bit more. Uh, acreage could shift just slightly a little bit lower as well. I don't think production changes will be significant, but probably a little bit to the downside if there are any. But I'm anxious to see our survey results on Monday as well. Yeah, so we'll be watching for those. Kind of interesting how this has come together. The pickup in exports and the lowering of our production this year. Was that just a perfect storm for a rally? Uh, and what does that mean, you think? What are your thoughts as we go through winter and into next year? Uh, it, it really has been a perfect storm. We certainly, a lot of farmers would say they deserve it after what they've been through the last few years. Certainly it's been some tough times. I've been in this business for about four decades. And as I was looking at things last spring, I thought this really feels like it's about to turn. Uh, when things look so bleak and like they were, that's when you do see things start to turn. You could speculate on what might cause it to turn, but we really didn't know. Uh, so at the time, it was just a gut feeling with no substance behind it. Um, but it did turn. We saw the demand come, and, and then we saw the adverse weather. Let's put it in perspective. We're still looking at corn and soybean crops that are going to be near record large, um, near record high yields. So they were still very good crops, but we got demand to go with it now, and demand feels so much better and in much stronger demand and uh, so we're seeing some much better uh, fundamentals as a result and uh, finally some good news for our producers out there 
Yeah, haven't been a lot of bright spots in 2020, but uh, that scenario has been one, uh, the, the rally in, in grain prices. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the question is now, how aggressive do you get on banking on a bull market? There are, there are no guarantees in this world, certainly. We saw yesterday um, and coming into today what can happen when Wall Street starts getting scared and the money starts flowing the sideline. You can have strong fundamentals and still see the prices break lower. Uh, so that continues to be a risk. Uh, so really need to take a business approach to this. Try not to get too bold up to the point of trying to hit the high in the market. Uh, recognize where your opportunities are. Take advantage of opportunities. Allow some flexibility in your marketing program, but don't bank the whole farm on trying to hit the home run. Good stuff. Thanks, Arlen. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Up next, Growth Energy and the Renewable Fuels Association pressing EPA for more transparency, more information on the small refinery exemptions to the RFS, and they are pressing the matter in court. We will talk about it with Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. 
if people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's our roads. It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Rock Slabaugh, Senior Vice President, National Rural Health Association. How is the rural health care system holding up under this pandemic? We have places around the country where hospitalizations and surges are within uh, normal or but no normal ranges. But then we have other parts of the country that are experiencing some rapid increases in cases with increase in hospitalizations and filling up intensive care units. Those are occurring largely in South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, kind of growing in the state of Montana. So we've got some large areas of the United States uh, being impacted by this right now. Keep in mind, 61% of rural hospitals do not have an intensive care unit. Many times if the care needed exceeds the capacity, they have to be transferred to some of the larger regional hospitals. And uh, when those are full, the rural hospital has to take care of those patients for longer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So a couple of years after filing a Freedom of Information Act request with EPA, seeking company names and some other information about companies that were given these small refinery exemptions, Two ethanol organizations, the Renewable Fuels Association and Growth Energy, are asking for more information. The two groups are asking a federal court to issue a ruling requiring EPA to provide more information. Now, EPA did release a number of documents back in September in response to that request, but 
According to court documents, there were a number of redactions made, including refinery locations and the names of their parent companies. So Growth Energy and the Renewable Fuels Association pressing the issue in court to get more of that information they've requested. Joining us now is Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Emily, thank you for joining us. Tell us about your latest push in the legal system to get this information you're seeking. Yes, it is unfortunate that we have a latest push. We've had to have so much litigation with the EPA around the, the uh, secretive um, refinery handouts. And the theme of this litigation in particular is about the, the secrecy and EPA operating in the shadows. Going back to 2008, that's when we first had to file the litigation. Um, we had requested basic information like the name of the refinery, the location of the refinery, so that we as a public have a better understanding of the decisions being made. Um, and EPA continued to reject that information, so we had to seek litigation. Now, this latest milestone, we requested a partial uh, summary judgment. It's essentially our way of saying, we're so confident in the facts, we want to expedite this legal process. Let's get some decisions on matter of law. Meanwhile, we're waiting to see what EPA does with the, the latest batch of requests for waivers. That's right. Well, yes, there are a series of requests that EPA has been getting for waivers. For the small refinery exemptions, we still have 35 pending requests for the years 2019 and 2020. Uh, we would like to see them uh, make decisions expeditiously and, of course, reject the vast majority of those petitions. Uh, there have been some general uh, requests from uh, senators of oil states saying, oh, there's general hardship taking place. You know, that's an utter nonsense type of claim. Um, and then we still have a few gap year requests. EPA rejected 54 of those in September. Very clean, important progress. But we've got about 17 left. Those two should be rejected immediately because there's absolutely no basis legally whatsoever to be handing a refinery a retroactive exemption going back as far as 2011. So it's an issue that just doesn't seem to go away. If you get the information you're seeking in, in court for for these names and more information, what then would you do with that information? Well, part of it is we need to better understand who's getting these exemptions and why, and we may use this information for additional litigation if we think that those uh, that exemptions were granted and, and the, the, uh, the merits of that exemption is, is unfounded. So this may well be an avenue for us for, unfortunately, additional litigation. I mean, the small refinery exemption process, it's like a cat with nine lives. It just keeps coming back. But hmm. it's so reprehensible what's taking place that we will fight it at every available opportunity. Let's turn to another topic. EPA, we're told, is considering making label changes at the pump for E15. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that would be very welcome news. The president has signaled twice publicly that this is something that he wants to see come to fruition. Of course, we as an industry believe it's very important. 95% of the cars on the road are approved for E15. And you have a, a kind of a scary and confusing label that's required to be put on the pump that just confuses consumers more than anything. That labeling absolutely should be revisited. Uh, the president committed to year-round sales of E15, now eliminating some of the remaining onerous regulations and red tape. That's the next step to really allow this fuel choice to, to gain its full momentum. And at the end of the day, it's about consumers having choices at the pump. Yeah, I was at an E15 pump not too long ago, and just the way it was set up and the labeling, 
if I hadn't already already known what I do about E15 and known that it was safe, that would have, if I had just kind of gone into it not knowing any of that and just looking at the way it was set up, it would have given me second thought. It, it really would have. And the truth is that, that E15, for most consumers, it's unleaded 88. It's actually the best value product out there, but it's not portrayed as much. And so for a consumer who, you know, they're not paying that much attention, it can be daunting and confusing. And that's the last thing that should be taking place um, when, when you've got a product that's so fantastic. And consumers should be putting it in their car at every possible opportunity. Emily, what are your thoughts on the Next Generation Fuels Act and basically raising the octane level standard and requirement for our fuel? Is is that the next RFS uh, as we move forward? Well, certainly. I mean, we, we support um, Congresswoman Bustos. We applaud her. Um, for her act. I mean, what she's doing with this is she, she is unleashing clean, affordable ethanol to drive decarbonization in our nation's transportation fleet and save consumers money at the fuel pump. So we think this is absolutely a, a great step forward that you would have a minimum octane standard where the sources of that octane have to be at least a 30% reduction of green of carbon emissions compared to baseline it limits the use of harmful aromatics and it positions biofuels to, to be that successful component in our in our transportation fuel moving forward we're high octane we're low carbon and we're affordable you, can, you can't come up with a better combination so we appreciate congressman bustos's um, support and leadership and you know now we want to get more co-sponsors so we can continue the drumbeat on capitol hill Emily, I appreciate your time. Lots going on, and thank you for your thoughts and the perspective on these key issues. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the time. All right, take care. Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Well, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we're going to take a look at a number of topics, including another major storm in the Gulf and potential impact on our grain transportation system. We'll get an update there. Dairy industry still pressing to get FDA to enforce labeling laws when it comes to dairy products. We'll get into that and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you will join us right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.